If you really care about protecting diet culture, if you really, really, really cared about that, why would you be jumping into anything at the last second? Frankly, it sounds like virtue signaling. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday the 8th of December 2022. I'm Matt Kierkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined once again for episode 398 by General Manager of Brews News, Sabrina Kunz, and Brewer and Industry Consultant, Ian Watson. Welcome back, Ian. Thanks for having me. Hi, Great Ian. to be back. Hey, Sabrina. It's always good to have you uh, back, and uh, you know I have to sort of uh, not fanboy too much uh, and, and start talking about our history together, that... We, God, we missed our 15th uh, anniversary of doing beer lunches. I think we're past 17 years. Yeah, we hadn't, we'll have to do the We're going to have to do something for 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe we do, do some pop-up random ones by then. I'd love to do that. I'd, li- I'd like to actually, I'd like to do a, several of them, a, a recreation of one of the ones back then to see how things have changed. Oh, wow. When you look and, at the beers that we did, yeah. Um, and then... A, a just modern free-for-all one. I love doing those things. They're great. Guys, it's episode 398. I know Matt will say that the numbers aren't quite right, but um, reminiscing and beer tasting, it sounds like there's, you know, give it a couple of episodes. You're going to have a lot of history to reminisce about, you know, 400 episodes of quality chat. Uh, Actually, I'll put it out there. If, if I mean, if there was enough listener interest, and the, the problem is that we are based in Brisbane, but you know we, we can travel. And Sabrina had flagged that one of the stories we're going to talk about is Good Beer Week is opening expressions of interest, and you'd suggested maybe a beer tapas thing. You know, I, I wonder amidst the clutter of uh, events whether there would be interest in people coming along to a Brews News, you know, beer and food matching event at Good Beer Week next year. I mean, it's funny that you're on, Ian, because um, the three of us have had lengthy conversations about elevating that beer and food experience and finding unique and different ways to really talk about food matching and beer. And so not sort of that long degustation meal, but really thinking about some of those new ideas. So it's funny that, Ian, you've arrived just in time uh, for our apparently on-mic discussion about what we should or not do for Good Beer Week. Let's just park that for later in the episode and get on with the news of the week. And uh, well, arguably the biggest story of the week, or certainly uh, one of the biggest stories of the year, is voting is open for the Gab's Hottest 100. Consumer voting is open for the 15th edition of the Gab's Hottest 100 Aussie Craft Beers People Choice Poll. Voters can select five of their favourite beers from over a thousand nominated by Australian breweries, but you may also nominate any craft beer absent from this list. Uh, all voters will also go into the draw to win a share of $5,000 in prizes. Um, the poll that people love to debate and discuss, uh, which again, as we've said, is great for beer. Um, thoughts, Ian? You know, what's your thoughts on the uh, evolution of the Hottest 100? Look, it certainly is something that's really interesting to watch each year and see the way that people get engaged with it. Uh, I love sitting back with a little bit of popcorn and watching the debate afterwards, <laughs> um, the positives and the negatives of, of that. Um, and it certainly has made an impact on the Australian industry over the last um, 12 um, plus years. It must be 12 plus years now, is it? 15. Yeah. 15. 15, we of just course, said, it's yeah. right in front of me. Um, yeah, it's, it certainly has had an impact and it, it really is um, interesting to see how the results come out and interesting to look and have a bit of analysis on each of the brands that do really well and see um, how and why they might have done well. Because um, it's all about the way that they can engage with their, their consumers and their audience and the way that they can rally, rally them into to support them. Mm. I've received, so my, obviously because of uh, the socials that I follow, my socials are now full of vote number one for this beer. (laughs) Um, And I have to tell you, I thought it was going to be annoying. I actually, it actually got me really excited. I was like, oh, cool, it started, it's on. And I sort of was like, okay, you know, which of the beers is this brewery putting, you know, vote number one for this beer? Like just starting to watch it all. I actually... I want you to know I'm buying into the hype. I get it. I'm I'm there. I'm in it. I'm loving it. So I'm looking forward to that. And that, and that's where it's interesting. You know, there are so many beers released 
a year now that when the poll started, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, the little creatures won it, I think, and you had, uh, you know, um, beers from Matilda Bay doing very well, yeah. and you know, Bridge Road was certainly there. Um, you know, 15 years ago, the landscape was very different, and it was you, know, you, you could almost come up with the list of beers available yourself if you're willing to spend the time. These days, the industry, which is so much about novelty and new and one-off beers it, it, it's, it's very very hard you've, you've got breweries that on one hand participate in that like I've, I've seen mountain culture um which is you know a new beer every week type uh venue, but you know they obviously want to do it as well so they're trying to shape the the, the, the voting to one of their regular easy to get beers and you know it, it's it, it it is a challenge regular and easy to get or you know matt i think you know, picking the beer that you already, you know, I'm sure they're picking the one that sells the most or the one that has the most engagement. So there is a bit of strategy behind it. Um, But, you know, in in speaking to brewers in the past week about it coming up, you know, it sort of says you don't have to have the largest audience for your product. You have to have the most engaged audience because for someone to vote – they have to be actively involved in your brand. That's, that's exactly it. And that's um, – it, it, I won't say annoyed me because that's too strong of a word. I'm just not quite that um, uh, caught with it. But when people say oh, a popularity contest, it's not. If it was a popularity contest, we could tell you the winners are going to be every year um, out of those available. Cooper's Sparkly, Cooper's Pale, Stone of Wood, going to outsell everything by a country mile. So there's your top But that's three a retail – and, and that's where it's interesting. I, I, I take your point that – if, yeah, if people it's straight vote up popularity, every day. popularity it's on everyone's popularity, av- yeah. able to um, vote. If, if it's straight popularity, that's it. But it's the but hottest, it's, which is slightly different. Yes, and because that involves the engagement, the way yep. that they can engage yep. there. Each of those top ten um, beers, every year in the top ten beers, there's quite a number that you can see. There's no way um, their entire brewery has the capacity of output of beer that's in the top 30 or whatever, what it's selling there. However, they're just doing a really good job with engaging their customers and that's what it's all about. And there is not, you know, that's that's totally the point of the the, the concept um, to to me is, is being able to engage people. And I think that's, so if you have an engaged customer base that want to vote for your product, uh, they're probably likely to buy that product or buy it again. But if they're then also engaging with other beer products, so, um, you know, I, I know these beers were in the top 10 last year. I haven't had them. Oh, this beer made the top 50 this year. Um, I haven't tried that one. Like it does, as Matt said, create a conversation, a positive conversation around beer that uh, for consumers that is sort of all happening at once. It's not lots of individual conversations between a brewery and their customer. We're all sort of talking about the same thing. And so I think that's why, you know, if you're interested in the industry, it's it's really fun to watch. There is always controversies around how people run certain competitions and things and there's always discussions about how can we tweak it and do it better, differently and otherwise. But I just think, you know, as I stepped away from all of that and started seeing the posts coming in, with the announcement, I was like, oh, this feels really fun. I'm really geared up for it this year. So, And again, yeah, look, look the, the, the fact that it does rely so heavily on engagement is what makes it so positive for the industry because it creates engagement in beer generally. And uh, I might have to, um, you know, as it's evolved, I might have to evolve my algorithm that it's no longer distribution by hype squared. I think, you know, it's now distribution by engagement squared plus hype um, because oh, we wow. are starting to see more and more brands that are getting wider distribution. So hype um, is, is certainly a factor these days, but it's, you know, I, I think your mates, which is certainly not probably yeah. a hype beer, but it's very much an engagement beer and, you know, yeah. brands. And uh, actually just to tease an upcoming episode of Beer as a Conversation that will be a really, really fascinating one um, to listen to. I spoke to... Uh, Chris and Andrew from Batch uh, during the week um, because you know they've released their results, their first results post their equity crowdfunding and financial results. Yeah, and they you know, which, which they have to do. And incidentally, kudos to them for having done it. A lot of the breweries that uh, haven't that that have equity crowdfunded probably haven't met their minimum requirements yet. Um, hopefully, that's not going to be the case. But you know, it was. Once you take that money, your results are effectively open to anyone that wants to see them. 
and I don't think uh, and you know Batch hit their um, marks. And so we had a really good chat about equity crowdfunding, but also about the growth and evolution of their brand. Um, and this was all stuff that they talked about. That you know, um, engagement is hard to 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 manage, and you know, it's a, it's a two way thing, and you know, just asynchronous communication um, of you know bias, you know, as an owner, bias, bias, bias isn't necessarily marshalling the the forces that you know some of the other companies that that build engagement have done really really successfully and you know your mates have clearly done that you know raising two and a half million dollars um plus you know there's no surprise they do that when you look at for the limited distribution footprint um and volume that you know in 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 gross terms that they're they're putting out they have really built a highly engaged community behind them um that that you know is not just broad, but goes quite deeply as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're the sort of metrics that, that, that show that. So uh, Hottest 100, again, huge. It, it gives us, what, three hours of content, and we will be back uh, this year doing an official – it won't be the Brews News podcast this year. It'll be the official Gabs podcast uh, that, that, that I'll be on, and I think you'll be on. We're still trying to work out um, you know, yep. with, with, with All the, the Gabs details. team exactly what they're after. But uh, listen, listen in. Um, we'll have a great, uh, great team. Um, sad story: La Serene Brewing closes uh, due to an asbestos scare. Uh, La Serene, you know, I, I highly regarded uh, Melbourne brewery, La Serene, which recently opened a tasting bar for the first time. A, a brew bar has temporarily closed its production brewery and bar after traces of asbestos were found in the Melbourne Innovation Centre. As of Friday, we were locked out of our production brewery. A statement read, we were unable to brew, process or package any beer. Multiple tanks of beer awaiting processing and packaging cannot be accessed. The city of Darabin said the two buildings would be closed for several weeks until further testing, cleaning and the remediation program is complete. La Serene Brewing first launched its brewery in 2010 with Bar La Serene opening only two months ago. Um, you know, really, really sad, uh, you, you know, circumstance for for uh, Costa and Eva and the whole team down there and uh, you know we really hope it, we, we wait to see what's involved in those remediation efforts uh, for them yeah this is um, uh, so I, I would like to speak on this one on, on two parts um, really difficult for um, Lusser in there I feel really sorry for them um, I really like Costa I love what Lusser and do right from their branding through to their 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 products, um, uh, and I have since the, the get-go. Um, it's something that's close to my heart. My father passed away from mesothelioma last year, which, for those that don't know, is asbestos cancer. Um, asbestos, uh, mesothelioma is 100% fatal cancer. No one survives mesothelioma. It has um, an average life expectancy from diagnosis of, I think, from memory, about 15 months. Um, there have been isolated stories of people lasting several years, um, but that's extremely rare. It's fast, it's aggressive, um, it's, it's absolutely terrible seeing it, seeing it firsthand. Um, my father was a plumber, um, uh, starting in the 1950s um, when things weren't quite what they are now. Uh, I'm a plumber by trade, for those that don't know. Um, I worked through the, um, was around the industry from the 70s, 80s, 90s, worked in it um, from the 90s into now. Things still weren't quite the same as they are now. I'm currently working up the courage to start my regular lung testing um, and, um, and, and, and an x-ray process for that, which is something that, that scares me because there is undoubtedly asbestos in my lung, so it might come mesothelioma. Uh, may possibly come knocking for me one day. It's something that you cannot mess around with. Um, it is um, there is no safe limit limit of asbestos in your in your lungs. Um, so a really really hard time. The council will be doing everything that they can, and I'm sure that um, the Lusseren folk are trying to be as understanding of that as they can, knowing the impacts that this has on people's lives. But for them, just an absolutely heartbreaking situation that they can't do what they need to do and what they want to do, which is produce the beautiful beer that they do. Ian, that's a really, um, you know, awful story about your dad, but it, it really does show how, why this has been taken so seriously, why, you know, there's been a complete sort of lockout by the, by the looks of things, why it's being treated so seriously. But it is also a flag of the types of venues that breweries typically try to go into. That, right? That's true. Old, yep. Older venues, so, you know, 
older venues, industrial areas, um, that this could be a potential risk for breweries that are looking for venues right now, that this is a risk that maybe wasn't on a radar because you are a tenant, for example, and you assume the landlord has done their due diligence on the property before they're renting it out. Um, but it is just, you know, a really, if you're looking at a venue, it's a question to ask what asbestos testing has happened, you know? And so I think that's a really, because it's clear that it's the type of space that that breweries would be looking at going into. Yeah, well, asbestos is is all around us um, in various venues, and yes, you're absolutely right. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those wonderful character buildings, um, asbestos yeah. was used in it um, because it, 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 it just was. It, it, it was everywhere. It was considered a wonder product um, for, for some periods there. Um, now, asbestos in itself, if not touched, won't do anything to you. You know, you could go up and uh, and lick an asbestos fence. I don't recommend that. Um, but, you know, if it's coated, if it's not um, uh, in particle size, it's fine. And, you know, I believe you could actually even eat it. It's when it gets in, it's in particle forms and it gets into your, gets into your lungs. That's when it causes problems. Your body can never, never get rid of it. There are cases of where people have um, mesothelioma and it was traced back to a single incident when they were a child of being near a waste pile um you know and that was where they can only trace it back to um my father and myself you know naturally we worked around the stuff removed asbestos roofs removed asbestos stacks in plumbing and so forth there and we we did everything we we could but the standards weren't as good as they are now or in my father's time they just really didn't know about it it was it was hidden um, which is why we had the court cases with james hardy um and why james hardy ran away from this country um and we're, we're, we're dragged back here kicking and screaming then there's a, a, a friend of my mother's, or a girl my mother went to school with, and she died from mesothelioma too. She never worked around it in her life. However, her husband was a mechanic and she washed his clothes and asbestos used to be used in the lining of brakes um, in the 60s and 70s. So that was, you know, only really a second-hand exposure to it and it was um, in washing and that was enough to, to have, have caused that there. So it's something you can't take a chance with and I don't know the circumstances with this one here, whether it's a case of they did not realise that one of the linings in part of the building was asbestos and they're being super cautious or whether they have found um, traces of asbestos particles um, from unsealed asbestos around there. Um, and uh, that, that will, I'm sure, come out in, in due course and what the... Um, how they're going to work in and around with with that, but um, I, I wish Lusseren. I my 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 thoughts are with them on this from several fronts. From as a, a fellow brewer um, and a lover of their product, and of someone who's been um, strongly touched by by asbestos. Matt has made this point before, and I think he's right about it. That you know you can look at the brewing industry, and it's such a great lens by which you can look through all of the issues facing the community or you know and I think that's when you look at the La Seren story like that's a really great example of where it connects you know so many stories through the lens of brewing. There, there is how many people affected by this one in that it's mm. um, you know the owners of La Seren but it's all their staff you know in, in the brewery in the bar that now you know main casual staff in the, the bar that now have yeah no shifts um all the people that you know from the community that probably love going there for for a drink um that that, that that's affected on and there's unfortunately nothing that that la Seren can can do about it at this stage but be um passengers until they until they know more the outpouring of support on social has been really lovely to see you know we were just talking about strong engagement and they've clearly got strong engagement and so with with their customers and with their locals and so that support you know the what can we do can we buy your remaining stock online how do we get it how can we help has been really great absolutely moving on to a slightly happier story or i guess a much happier story easy times brewing that we covered a couple of weeks ago uh, had gone into voluntary administration uh they are now officially out um and the business has returned to the control of the new directors via the execution of a deed of company arrangement on 22nd November 2022. The deed of company arrangement was accepted on the first business day after the minimum statutory voluntary administration period of five weeks was completed, reflecting the, uh, and, and th these are their words, I should say, um, extraordinary efforts of the business to rapidly work through the issues identified by the administration process and return the business to solvency. SV Partners, uh, which was the firm, um, that was engaged has confirmed that all employees' entitlements were paid in full and this was an essential element for support of the deed of company arrangements by key creditors, including the ATO. 
um, a, a quote uh, from If Your Small Business is Struggling, we can speak firsthand about the value and importance of seeking expert advice from specialist accounting, pre-insolvency, business and mental health support services before it's too late. Don't hesitate to reach out to the Easy Times team if we can return the favours and so they receive a lot of support that we received and help any of your small businesses in any way. Every day uh, should be Are You OK Day and help is never far away as you think. I should point out that some good people were let go um, and we'll have to check in with them to make sure that, you know, uh, that, that claim that all uh, staff have got their entitlements um, is, is correct. This has literally just come through uh, today. Um, for for publication, and uh, hopefully you know it, it, it. Hopefully it is a great result for everybody, as it is for Easy Times Brewing. And I should say, well, maybe this is the engagement episode um, because uh, you know we, we Easy Times was very generous during the floods uh, in making sure that they were participating in fundraising for brewers that were affected by the floods and in return they had huge levels of support from the local industry who donated karma kegs and things to help them uh, w- w- with their cash flow so um, great result um, you know, on the face of things there and, and good people involved as well. Yeah, I mean, five weeks for a VA is as, and the reason they've pointed it out is that that's you know the statutory minimum period. So they've managed to restructure a business within uh, five weeks, uh, which you know can only mean a massive um, level of effort by the now owners and directors. Um, you can read more in the media release that that will go out, but you know it talked about. A comp- almost complete restructure of the business needing to um, get capital that was really more input by the directors to ensure that trade creditors were paid, um, a payout of, as they said, employee entitlements. Um, and so, you know, it, it was a pretty um, pretty big piece of work to turn around that quickly. But I think the really interesting piece is, you know, what did, uh, and of course we don't have the details, but what were the pieces that a specialist uh, business advisory firm have come in and said you need to shave costs here you need to do this better you need to do that differently because those pieces of advice would help any small brewery because as we know it's a you know capital intensive low margin business everybody's tr- struggling to figure it out and so I think you know getting that advice on what they could do uh, hopefully means that they've now set up the business in a way that they, they can go forward you know, on an ongoing basis because they've had someone external look at it and give them advice. The one other thing that I'll actually add to that is we are publishing a story that came through as a media release this morning and it's one that we ordinarily don't publish where companies that collect data or mine Google reviews and things like that just have sent through self-promoting data Um you know, to essentially say how awesome they are. Um, we tend not to, to do unless there are some genuinely interesting insights and Automentum um, which is a ordering platform uh, that companies such as Line and a number of others use so pubs can order stock through them, um, put out a, an interesting media release that talked about, I think, the cost of goods to suppliers that they've tracked through their website has gone up 20% um, since 2020. That is a big jump in cost base um, for, for companies, that, and that's just the cost that they measure but then they also, and I think offhand because it hasn't been published yet, um, and we will put a link in the show notes, is that failed payments had increased by 13% um, just in the last three months, um, which they put down to a, a possible sign that you know bars, cafes, and restaurants are finding it harder to pay their bills, um, you know due to those costs. So that's one that we are publishing because it is an interesting data point um, that whilst it gives Automentum a little bit of um, publicity for their service, that is an interesting data point from a company that is well-placed to, to, to be measuring that. So you know, if, if businesses are out there finding it very hard, um, you know, that's where the Easy Time story does come in and their advice to you know, get expert advice from specialist accounting firms about how you might be able to you know, get some assistance or turn your business around. 
I also really like, Matt, that they linked it to the mental health because, you know, they talked about how stressful mm. it was for the owners and operators leading into this period, being in the state of we don't know what to do, we know we've got to do something, we've got this mountain mounting creditor debt, how do we get out of it? And so, you know, that link, I, I know that, uh, you know, they've been doing other things for mental health. They were on, um, Craig was on Sunrise recently having done a calendar. They, they've been pretty heavily engaged engaged in, in men's mental health altogether, but linking it to sort of saying, like as a small business owner, when you find yourself in this really tricky situation, it's not just the specialist accounting support that you might need. It's some of this other stuff, actually. <laughs> like, you know, you've got to manage your own, uh, you've got to manage yourselves to be able to contribute to the brewery and keep it going because they could have easily turned around and said, it's too much. We, we can't take this burden on anymore. Um, we're out and, and that's not what's happened. So I think that's a good link and a good lesson for people as well when you think about small business. Now, one of the ways that breweries that are small businesses can, you know, reach new audiences and certainly, you know, communicate, um, maybe even build engagement if, if, if uh, the messaging is correct, is a beer can label. Um, or a bottle label, or even your packaging, because these days they are the new mini billboard of the beverage industry. They say a lot as an advertisement you can hold in your hand. The label is the genuine conversation starter, and conversations build engagement. The label is also providing a new voice to the designers and artists with a very public canvas to present some terrific artworks and some tongue-in-cheek quips, and we might come to some of those later. Just brilliant. Seriously, though, to get all of the specs right so your bottle of can looks at best at all times, call the guys at Rallings Label Stickers at Packaging on 1300 852 235 or email them at sales at au to see how they can help make your brand sing. And we thank Rallings for their enduring support of this podcast and also uh, for their support of the industry. Um, Moving on, now the, the headline for the next story is CUB declines to change diet culture marketing, but let's just say it's Sabrina gets to say, I told you so. Um, so <laughs> CUB has declined to confirm it will change the packaging of its new beer spill, despite criticism of the branding of its from its own influencer. Um, as, as we reported on Bruce News a couple of weeks ago, uh, CUB in partnership so they said, with uh, social media identity uh, and media identity, uh, Abby Chatfield. Um, But one of Chatfield's supporters called out the beer's diet culture marketing in which they very heavily focused on the carbs and the calories of the beer. Um, And Chatfield was very quick, Abby Chatfield was very quick in agreeing with the criticism uh, and going even further to say that she hadn't approved the brand, she didn't agree with the uh, the, the marketing, it wasn't important to the, 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 the beer's labelling and she had called on the um, marketing team to change it and they had said that they would, which seems to fly in the face of uh, CUB's own marketing team. Uh, I asked a question pretty much as soon as we got off the podcast the other day uh, or two and a half weeks ago. A couple of follow-ups before we actually got an answer, and the answer was the non-confirmation, uh, nothing response of, we're constantly re-evaluating our packaging, and we're not in the position to announce anything yet. Um, now, for, for me, I'll, I'll, I'll let Sabrina do her lap of honour um, later. Um, you know, as I said at the time, it was, despite... You know the, the the many people who said Abby who um, when it came out, she has half a million followers. You know, close enough to half a million followers. Huge engagement in her social media. Um, had a big response to her posts about this beer, and it's an audience that is very very hard for beer marketers to to reach. And if we do want to expand the footprint of people who consider beer their product um, away from to use CB's own words, um, notions of hyper-masculinity uh, around beer. I thought it was a really, really good um, opportunity and a, you know, a great um, potential campaign for them to do it. However, when you engage an influencer, you need to be influenced by them as well. You know, if it's if you're just going to use them to push out the same old tired lands of lines about beer and diet culture, um, and 
they criticise you for it. You have to listen. CUB declined to do that. And then when you look at everything about this brand, it is something that they developed without her input. They reached out to her. She jumped on it, you know, in her words at the last minute. This brand would have been in development, as you said, Sabrina, months and months and months before she was involved. So um, I, I actually think that this shows that CUB isn't actually engaging with a different demographic and a different audience. They are just using the tired old lines of getting somebody to uh, jump on and uh, shill for them. So it's much more of a shill than a, a shill ambassador. This winds me up so badly. <laughs> but so... Uh, as I guessed, uh, so I had, as Matt pointed out on the podcast, had no information, but the guess was that CUB wanted to create a rival product to Better Beer. They wanted a beer in the Better For You category. Uh, they came up with the beer spill through some methodology, however it was, they were connected to Abby Chatfield. She has agreed to come on for an undisclosed sum of money, which she will have taken as her business is promoting things. Um, And what makes me really cranky about this, Matt, is that she says she came in, she jumped in at the last second. Well, Ms. Abby Chatfield, if you really care about protecting diet culture, if you really, really, really cared about that, why would you be jumping into anything at the last second? Frankly, it sounds like virtue signaling. And, well, she, well she's, she has signalled that, uh, you know, that there's a whole lot of media coverage around the fact that she has declined to work for some brands because they didn't align with her She values. has said she's yeah, declined to work for some She has, and it's got a lot of ends. media coverage. And, yeah, yeah. and in, in this case, you know, she Where, has taken She could have money. done the work. She could have done the work up front. What is this beer? How do you intend to market it? Why are you targeting the better for you category? What does that mean for you? Here are the words that I don't want used. Here's what I stand for. As the example I gave to Matt, if Bruce News gets behind any single, uh, if our media appears anywhere and we're talking for really low deals, it's these are the words you can use. This is what I want my logo to look like. That is standard business practice. And if we are going to say that she is an influencer and CUB is a multi-million dollar company and she didn't know what she was getting into, she knew what she was getting into when she said, I'll take the dollar dollar bills. She took the money, she didn't do the work up front. And then the second that her, because she maybe hadn't paid attention, she had time to do an a television advertisement, which we've seen. So she's standing around on set all day and couldn't say, gee, I wonder what the packaging is going to look like. I wonder what the core messages are going to be. Why am I dressed in a tradie thing? She was involved in deciding precisely how that was going to be marketed. She got called out for having not done the work and now she's backtracking and it makes CUB look bad and I understand what you're saying. They're and not they engaging to, in... by the way, because they're not listening. They, they, this could be but a... But why engage... should they be listening? They decided that they were creating a product. They've well, paid a the person to are, market well, that product. I mean, they're complicit in this as well. And incidentally, oh, good quality soapboxing there. Like, there was banging the so table. Oh, no, no, no. so that was, that was some next level uh, soapboxing <laughs> I, there. Uh, because... But anyway, because I, I, don't want to, I don't want to get away from what, what is actually a very serious discussion. But CUB are complicit in this because, yes, I, I take all of the points that you're saying um, and I gave her credit. You know, this you is me doing credit. my very best to sort of uh, you know, look on the bright side. But this is also a business that is holding her up as, you know, it, she is a partner. They're not saying, you know, uh, and in, in the same week that this happened, um, who, the Outback Wrangler, who was merely an ambassador for Great Northern, you know, had his own legal troubles um, and they've sort of stepped back from him being a brand ambassador they're not describing CUB aren't describing Abby as a brand ambassador for Spill that's right they're calling it her beer so they're portraying and you know there's a whole lot of self-congratulatory LinkedIn posts from the um, brand development team who are the commercial partnerships team saying how awesome this beer was and you know things like that so yes this beer had a life before Abby Chatfield quite clearly but at the same time, they're willing to try and make it look like this is her beer. And all of the presence on social media yeah. is giving that. So if they're going to do that, if they're going to try and get the benefit for the brand that she is, you know, that this is her beer, 
then it's incumbent on them to, you know, if, if they are genuinely engaging with her and her value to her audience rather than just wanting her to push the brand out, it's incumbent on them to actually go, actually, you do make a good point. There are people, and your brand is built on people valuing, and, you know, we've had some great chats internally, and, you know, um, uh, Vivian, you know, has said that she follows, uh, you know, Abby on social media where we wouldn't have but for this beer. And, you know, she really likes her, um, you know, uh, voice Outward of empowerment persona. and her, uh, and that is what CUB is trying to tap into by doing this. And yet, at the very first hurdle, when their own influencer jumps in and goes, "Actually, you're right," and it may be virtue signaling, or it may be a deeply held belief, but CUB had a chance to actually go, "You know what? This is an indication where we actually need to change our marketing." And you know. Calories and things aren't important to this beer because that is promoting diet culture. And if we want to reach that audience, we actually need to take the focus away from that and say this is just a nice flavour of some beer that people might engage in. But I think they've done the numbers and they've gone, yeah, she's got some followers. 220 likes on one comment is, you know, that's not enough to change a marketing strategy grounded in data. And my thing is that if she had turned around, if her response to that Facebook, to that post had been, um, thanks, guys, I, we, I can see what you're saying. Um, give us some time. We're going to go away and think about it. And she had then engaged at a de- disliking something on Instagram and saying that's passing it on to the marketing team. Like there is no accountability from her to step back and approach the response in a mature way. And so I agree with your point there around CUB have engaged her and said it's her beer. Um, I mean, Dan Waters, we talked about the risks involved in getting influencers. I mean, clearly that is a failure in the rollout by CUB. So from a business risk. It absolutely is a diet beer. They're not talking about lower alcohol. Like the the better for you category isn't about lower alcohol. It's not about health benefits. It's about it being a diet beer without it being called a diet beer. So Exactly. So they are targeting that market. They are targeting people that want better for you. They misunderstood that Abby's followers wanted a product that was better for you. And so um, there has been a misalignment. The way, I I mean, as people have noticed, we'll see whether it sticks around uh, or or whether it just fizzles out because if you can't market it as better for you and let's face it, they're not uh, marketing it as, hops forward complex targeting a craft beer drinker they're not even the beer they doesn't don't have want to be to that to, to appeal like it, it can just be it's a it, it's it's you know an inclusive beer, beer but it's not inclusive when you're actually not listening to the people that you're wanting to include but any beer can be inclusive if you decide that's the story you want to <laughs> Ian, tell have about you got it any thoughts uh, clearly <laughs> we have <laughs> yeah, i've just been sitting back and enjoying and listening uh, look my thoughts are still the same as as when i first heard about it um this is a simple business mistake from both parties. This is a lack of due diligence from both of them. CUB should have known how her angle is to market and push products. She should have looked at what the product is. They have both failed in their business with this. Then exactly as yeah. you said, Sabrina, when this come out, she did that the wrong way. What she should have done was say, I hear you to the customer. I'm going to go investigate this Um yeah, let's look into it. Then she could have gone away. They could have come up with some spin. They've got a marketing department. Hey, that's that's comfortable for both parties. Or she could have said, yeah, nah, um, I messed up. I'm not involved in this product. See you later. So it was a stuff exactly. up from both of them in both ends of that that there. And um, yeah, um, yep. makes them both, I think, look a little, little silly in that regard there. And the lesson that we pointed out when this first came out is that getting an influencer to market your beer – uh, is not as simple as it sounds and paying for likes is not necessarily how you're going to get longevity in your product. And if we compare and if we contrast this to the way that Better Beer have gone about building engagement and the role that the influencers play in the increase around Better Beer, and Matt, um, we're going to come to it shortly, but Traveller was just announced that have also got sort of influencers but at least um, social media presences uh, you know, it was done very differently to the way Better Beer have done it. And so the risk for brands is just think about, you know, making sure if you're going to engage an influencer, you've done all the work. 
Interesting one. Uh, moving on to, again, good news, bad news uh, today. The Western Australian Brewers Association has partnered with Australian liquor marketers to release a Drink West, Drink Best mixed cube featuring 16 Western Australian breweries. Um, I won't list all 16, but it's a great range of Western Australian breweries. And the pack can be found at Celebrations, the Bottle O and Porter's Liquor um, stores across which I believe you know count as independent bottle shop. They are. They're yeah. all they're all independently owned, and it's a a better group for them to all go and get some buying power, um, buying power in. Uh, many 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 years ago, I, I worked um, in stores that that ran um yeah under similar better groups. And uh, look, uh, on one hand, that is a media release that's just an ad, but it's an ad for the industry association over there, the very dynamic industry association. And, you know, it's nice to see packs like this supporting a wide range of small breweries through an independent bottle shop. When you look at, to take it back to our last story, you know, the uh, Spill, uh, Traveller, um, and also the Hi-Fi Japanese lager from Brick Lane are all Coles um, liquor beers. They're just throwing spaghetti at a wall to try and tackle better beer. It's nice to see these sorts of good news stories from independent breweries that are getting ranging in uh, small, in, you know, ultimately support, you know, as we say over and over and over again, you know, vote for the beers that you want to see in, in the next few years by getting out and spending money on them and also the bottle shops. Otherwise, you're just going to have Coles and Dan Murphy's whose ultimate strategy is to have vertical integration with, with, with their own beers. And getting these kinds of deals across the line isn't easy, right? So that would have taken quite a lot of work and time and effort by the WA Brewers Association working with Australian Liquor Market. Then you've got to include but not exclude any breweries. You've got to then coordinate the product. You've got to get it, you know, this is quite an undertaking to make it happen. But hopefully what it does is if somebody said, I really like, you know, I always drink the IPL from Eagle Bay Brewing. Um, I'm going to buy it. Won't it be cool to sample these other products? Uh, and, and you know, hopefully there's some, I don't know how the funds work, but hopefully there's some part that goes into assisting to fund the WABA to do more of this kind of thing. And it can only be good for industry to be seen, uh, to work together to solve some of the sort of structural inequities. Yeah, I think this sort of thing's a great initiative. Um, really cool. And yeah, as Sabrina said, there is a lot of work involved in this, um, organising that deal. Um uh, organising which brewery is going to be in on it, and then just the um, logistics of piecing that together. Yeah. I've never done that myself. However, I've provided um, beer at breweries I've worked for to companies that do mix boxes, and the amount of lead time in it is incredible yeah. for them to be able to coordinate it all in together. Um, so I don't imagine there's really a lot of dollars for it for, for anyone really in the end, but it's it's, it's great to see... Um, that collaboration of getting something out, a unified front and let's drink local, let's drink the beer from our state and here's 16 great great beers from it. Very very cool. Uh, and yeah, there were yeah. a lot of reliable handcrafted beers in in that pack. And you know what else is reliable and handcrafted, Sabrina? Scarf Fabricating. Scarf Fabricating. Support for this episode comes from Scarf Fabricating. Scarf Fabricating builds reliable automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for breweries and their production teams. If you are a brewer looking for the best way to get your product out of your tap room and into the hands of your customers, such as through independent bottle shops like the, the Wobba Brewers have, Scarf Fab has you covered. With a wide range of depalletizers, custom conveyance, data coding, rinsing and drying systems, and more, Scarf Fabricating specialises in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from keg to can. To find out how Scarfab can help you sell more beer, visit www.scarfabricating.com today. That's S-K-A, fabricating.com to get started today. And you can find a link in the show notes or on the Brews News business directory. And we thank everyone who takes a listing and makes the research that we do day in and day out possible. Um, that's the Brews News news of the week. Um, we've had a few mailbag and listener comments. Russell posted a story about a new drink driving campaign in Brisbane to the Facebook group um, and Steve Brockman, our guest host last week, uh, commented on it saying South Australia's campaign at the moment has been also everywhere. Drink driver, selfish prick. Uh, I always think that this sort of advertising would be better to take a different tack instead of driving, drinking, never drive, prohibition style, appeal to the decision making process. If you're not sure, make the call and show people calling an Uber. Their mate, their parents, a taxi. Show the behaviour you'd like to model. 
make it a catchphrase your drunk mate could call out at a pub. I have never, uh, I still have workplace safety ads from the 90s WA television I recite during the workdays now because they were simple and catchy. I have to say that that, um, and he finishes, prohibition never works, but making your decision process a little different could make, and, and I actually agree, making it a positive choice. But then again, I actually you know, don't mind the drink driver selfish prick um, ads because in, in their own way, they call out the behavior and reshape it from being something that's you know cool or edgy or you know just taking a chance it labels it as it is and I remember some just general hooning legislation uh, um, and I'm not sure which state had it but you know when you saw blokes speeding in in fast cars and women holding up you know their little finger to indicate you know that maybe the blokes who are exhibiting that behavior are compensating for something I, I would love to see some people who work in advertising as to whether that sort of thing you know, making something that makes them feel tough um, or make them feel, you know, like they're doing something, you know, edgy, bringing it back to actually if you do that, you know, everyone else is thinking, gee, you, 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 you're overcompensating for your lack of something. Um, so, because my comment to the initial um, ad was, yeah, I always feel that government advertising on these sorts of things end up like parents talking to their children over you know a slightly awkward subject where they're trying to be cool and with it and they very rarely do so um, maybe we should do a, a, a beer as a conversation on you know the psychology of, of attitudinal change and behavior change advertising that, that might be an interesting one that could be a really interesting thing and I, I think um, I think both styles of advertising could work um, I see where where, where Steve's um, coming from there and I, and, and I really do agree um, but I think it's probably a ramp up you need um, eight out of ten ads, or nine out of ten ads, to be like the ones he's proposing. You know, here's the positive way to make that call to to go on to get that attitude change, and then the one in ten to go, well, you drink driver, you're just a selfish prick, you're a bloody idiot, whatever. Um, as that hard line, that it's not all a soft approach. You know, there is. Um, we've got the gentle softly, softly. But if that's not working, here's the big stick at the end of it. I agree with you. I actually think there's probably you know, you need all sorts of campaigns because you're trying to reach all sorts of people and, and people are wired differently so they might respond to different things. But there is a really great series of ads, uh, anti-drink driving commercials in New Zealand who I actually think do public service advertising sort of some of the best. Um, and it, it's it really it does that decision-making thing and then at the end it calls them a legend. It says, like, if you've made the right choice, you're a legend. So it's the opposite of the you're a prick if you drive. It's you're a legend if you make the right decision. Mm. Um, and so I'll, I'll share that to the group, but it's a really um, – I actually, when I first saw them, I was like, it's really effective. Uh, it feels less judgy. It's trying to make that a positive. You've done the – reinforcing the positive side of it. So I'll, I'll share that in in response. But, yeah, um, I, I think we probably need – all the things I still think you know as far as uh, risk to people the drink driving side of it is still one that you know really has the biggest effect on you know other people other people I, I mean I don't want to say that because there's lots of other circumstances but it is one of the areas in which somebody's individual drinking has impacts on others very much uh, moving on to other news now. This is one that I threw in. I was, I was very mindful of the old bingo card, but we haven't spoken about Brewdog for a while. Um, they have been in the news a lot of late. You know, there was all of the scandals um, or the, the the you know the BBC investigation um, over the, the the course of last year, and a lot of uh, criticism uh, that went both ways. And then a subsequent court case where James uh, felt that he was uh, vindicated. But more recently. Um, Brewdog, uh, which pushes its carbon credentials very heavily um, internationally, um, it loses its uh, B Corp certification. Um, on, on on one telling, it loses it. Its uh, you know, B Corp has taken it away. Brewdog's internal memo, according to the to the media, um, or at least their internal com- communications, was they stepped away from it. Um, that it didn't align with what they wanted to do and they had to make some changes, which again is, I think that's why it's called spin. They're trying to make it a positive or make it their their, their own thing. And, uh, you know, I reached out to Brewdog Australia to find out whether they, because they are a separate business, it's 100% owned, um, to find out whether it affected them. And uh, yeah, had, had a great chat um, with the team there. And as we've said on the podcast previously, the Australian team does carry itself very differently to the international team and so you know it's 
they were talking about, well, you know, like we have never made a big thing of the B Corp certification, even though BrewDog globally, you know, tweeted it. But um, it's, it, it, it's one of those things that we've, we've always grappled with. The local team here, very good people. And when you criticise a business, people feel personally maligned and for, for things that they haven't necessarily been involved in. But um, the, and, and the, the other story uh, this week was BrewDog was pinged by the um, UK version of ABAC because they did a fruit beer um, marketed as you know one of your daily five. You know you meant to have five serves of fruit and veg a day, and they were pinged for that. And of course, in typical BrewDog fashion, they didn't just take that and quietly go away. And mea culpa, we will change our marketing. They have turned that into, or tried to turn that into some very BrewDog positive marking by showing how edgy they are by making fun of the alcohol regulations. And, you know, and, and this is where when you see that sort of, and I'm, I, I just think it's juvenile, you know, as we've said in the past, alcohol has certain um, requirements around it. It's not other products. It does have a detriment. We'll come to one of the, the, the reasons for that. And you sort of think a company, sure, when they started, they wanted to be edgy and dark and, you know, get promotion. They reckon they're now a $2 billion company. They see themselves as industry leaders. Their behaviour constantly um, plums the, 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 the worst cases of marketing. And when they get called out for it, they then try and capitalise on that. And as I say over and over and over again, the industry is an ecosystem. If you've got one person who behaves this way and gets an advantage that BrewDog is seeking to get from their you know, PR stunts, if they get away with it or if they get benefit from it, it puts pressure on businesses that do want to do what I regard as the right thing to behave in the same way. And that just lowers the esteem in which beer is held in. It, it puts more pressure on other businesses. And it, you know, there's a lot in this one because on one hand the, the, the UK business just behave, you know, James is just a child he just comes across as a bro um, I, I think last week they posted Las Vegas um, they opened their biggest brew dog bar in the world and he put five thousand pounds on one spin of the blackjack tables that he was going to make up um, you know, if he lost if he won he was going to give it to the, the the brew dog team which you know again it's just such juvenile um childish you know bro type marketing and he's standing there with his baseball cap on backwards and it's just all of the things that we don't want craft beer to be anymore and you know whilst on one hand i don't i i, I really like the way that brew dog australia carries themselves they do get the benefit from the notoriety that is that comes from all of these headlines and you know now as their two biggest bars in australia have um you know launched um you know james was celebrating with the 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 thing that they celebrate that he was going to give the profits to their um staff because it's a brew dog bar and 50 percent of all of the profits from staffs are shared amongst um brewery owners the two biggest most notable um venues have opened in australia now are franchises that are run by AVC Co. You know, they basically franchise Brewdog sells them beer. I don't know the full details of it, but I did ask. The staff don't get 50% of the profits from those bars. And yet, every time James does one of his hilarious bro stunts that shares the idea that Brewdog bars get 50% of the profit, even the bars in Australia... Don't you know? And it's just one of those things. And I just sort of think, you know, the only reason that government spent money on luring um, Brewdog to Australia was because of their notoriety and the, the size of their brand. And that came from these, you know, infantile behaviour. And it, it's getting harder and harder to separate the Australian operation out from this ongoing global behaviour that is the Brewdog brand building experience. Would they be considered independent in the sense that they're? structure means they're not owned they're no they're 100 percent owned by a company that has that is outside of the the the, the volumes um yeah so so theoretically brewdog is got independence uh because it's not owned by one of the big other companies but if you were one of those big multinational companies 
there would be absolute outrage about the type of behaviour that you're they speaking about. It. And in fact, well, they wouldn't do it because if it, one of their junior employees did it, they would be fired, right? So I guess I just come back to it to that point around brewing the unique ecosystem, the way we think about what is positive, what is negative, who's to blame for certain issues and who's not. Um, you know, if Heineken somewhere else in the world did something that was considered highly controversial, that would have an impact on the way people perceive Heineken in Australia. Similarly with BrewDog, they're going to get the BrewDog here, whether they operate at arm's length or differently, are going to get uh, the impacts, both positive and negative, of a global brand. And I'll come back to the point that I made a few weeks ago with this sort of shenanigans, is you actually do feel sorry for the staff who have no control over Dear Leader, who is doing... You know, I mean, it's it's like watching the Twitter meltdown. Um, that's how you feel watching BrewDog. Like how long is it going to last before employees are just like, I don't want to work for a place like this. This is just not a brand I want to be associated with. I don't think it's doing well. You start seeing good staff leave. What have you got left? A guy scrambling to do, you know, ninja marketing, you know, in a world that has frankly moved on. I, look, I agree in the Australian team behaving differently, basically, and, and, and drawing attention to the fact that they don't do the same, you know, to, to me is implied criticism of the mothership. Um, yeah, well, wouldn't you, what would you do? How do you defend that at a personal level if you don't, it, that's why, I mean, you talk about businesses these days and the fight, the war for talent and people buying into businesses that they believe in, Um if you don't believe in it, what do you say at a personal level? It becomes very hard to defend. And, and this because I reached out to talk about the you know relevance of the B Corp certification being taken away locally, and they sort of say, well, that's you know they the the, the local team will talk about you know <laughs> their, their their own venues that they're launching here won't talk you know either won't or can't or whatever talk about you know the and they refer me to the overseas thing, and you go know, well. To, to their overseas spokespeople. James was in town, wasn't available to, to talk to media. And so you'd, it, it is one of those things where it's kind of like, oh, don't hate on us because of what he does, but we're not going to let you speak to him about what he does while he's here. And we're going to take the benefits of the notoriety that comes with everything that they've done. And I, I, I think you're right. You know, it, He is the head of the company. And if he's going to behave like a bro throwing $5,000 down, which is just... You know, again, it, it, it's actually pretty offensive at a time when, as we've said, businesses are closing, to do it as a publicity stunt and then go, oh, look, you know, if I lose it, I'll make it up out of my own um, money because he flogged off. Um, and actually, here's, here's the nice thing from my point of view. Um, and again, it is only my opinion. Um, looking at the uh, social media where they were making fun of the regulatory board in uh, the UK about their advertising, the, just the, the, the lineup of quotes... Um, you know, they sort of said they had a photo of an apple and a photo of a beer and sort of saying, hey, regulatory body, can you tell the difference between these two? We can. One is an apple, one is a beer. And uh, people weighing in, uh, you know, I can tell the difference, but I can also tell the difference between legitimate protest and a PR campaign and a toxic workplace and one that isn't. Can you? And that's the thing. I don't think James can even see the difference between his bro-like behaviour and how it casts... You know, and how it does reflect on what is acceptable in the workplace um, as behaviour. Something that is very frustrating about the circumstance is James was in Australia and he was presumably unavailable because he was too busy glad-handing all of the politicians who were going to be able to hand out more money. And because we pay such close attention to the brewing industry, we're engaged in that level of comment. And, you know, this is, I was talking to someone the other day and they said I went, had gone full soapbox. So I know I had gone full soapbox on the Brewdog thing a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, the fact that there are still governments in Australia at various levels and various departments willing to celebrate and hand money to BrewDog and talk about what a great thing they did, at the same time people engaged with BrewDog who really watch what's going on are saying they don't reflect our industry, they're not uh, world-class actors, just really shows how, um, you know, the marketing and the face of it can actually really hide what sounds like a toxic, frankly, shit place to work. It may not be in Australia, and it sounds like it, like it's not. And 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 we can only take. Uh, and if anyone's worked at Brewdog, we'd love to hear from you. 
Um, but at, at the end of the day, if you don't agree with the way they're carrying on globally, you know, it, it has an effect globally. And, uh, you know, you choose mm-hmm. to work locally and increasingly you're going to be scrutinised for the behaviour of the whole business. Well, they've been in the media four or five weeks in a row with not positive with not headlines. headlines. That they don't give a shit about because to them, yeah. as, as that thing said, you know, it's, it's a publicity stunt designed to promote the business. Ian, do you have any thoughts or your... <laughs> this has been some good soapboxing today. Yeah, I'm just sitting back <laughs> and, and listening here. This is great. Um, uh, Brewdog, no, look, I've really got nothing more to, to add to them. It's just honestly it. Um, yeah, nothing for anyone that works for them, but, you know... They're just not in my interest scope. They're just not in my field at all. Um, as far as the losing B Corp certification, I'll just bring a, th- a point to this. Uh, and maybe it's because of my ignorance. Um, I am aware of B Corp certification. But as a consumer, I'll have to say I probably don't give a shit about it because they don't, it, it appears to me to me to be something for the company, not something for the company to use to show to the public because I've seen nothing from B Corp to say why I should be interested in B Corp um, company. To me, it's a little bit like any like Cicerone certification. It doesn't make you a great beer surfer, server. It just gets people thinking about a, poly, a process and an awareness and a base level of knowledge and things like that. You probably Cicerone is probably a little bit more relevant in that way because there is marketing. That, you know, people know all of that, but I just know. Yeah, I really don't know enough about B Corp as a consumer to go whether that makes a difference Sorry, to I, me. Then, then I should say, look, okay, um, having a law degree doesn't make you a great lawyer. Make, you know, there's a whole lot of other things that come into. So, Ian, I, I actually think that B Corp have done a fair. I guess it depends how you get your media, but. I think they've done a fairly good job at trying to explain what they are. There's some big, like, who gives a crap, for example, who are speaking at the IBA at BrewCon next year. They're a certified B Corp. And I think they've done a fairly good job at essentially saying uh, you can't greenwash your credentials. You need to have some sort of a certification. You can't sort of say you're a good employer. B Corp gives this holistic certification. I'm not not saying it's not a good thing, but I'm just saying for me as a consumer – uh, if I yeah. saw that on there, I, I've got really no idea what's involved in it and, and why I should care about it. Whereas I could go and go into Woolies or Coles down the road here and pick a product of ourselves that would have a number of other certifications on it. And just the very name of it, whether it's genuine and whether it's good as B Corp, just the very name yeah. of it, I would have an idea of what they're trying to tell me rightly or wrongly that they are, be that, you know, um, mm. fair trade or organic or um, yeah. X, X, Y and Z. But B Corp, you know, so I, I, I don't know. Yeah, to me it seems like something to show off to other companies that you've got it rather than to explain what good you're doing to the consumer. But maybe that's just my my ignorance in it. One thing I will say is, you know, all credit to B Corp for not just looking at, you know, carbon footprint or, you know, one dimensional. It's sustainability of businesses. And, you know, again, I, 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 I th- would be very surprised if Brewdog uh, gets its certification based on, you know, the, the just the general behaviour um, and the sustainability and, and that sort of thing. Uh, just before we head out, now we might jump through uh, just because of the time and the, uh, you know, soapboxing that's uh, taken place in this episode um do go and listen to beer as a conversation with andy allen and blake bowden don't need to discuss that too much one that we will push uh beer tourism podcast with kelly ryan from visit sunshine coast um and how breweries and regions can engage their tourism bodies from the uh tourism body that brought you the uh um beervana sunshine Sunshine Coast. coast um yeah i was saying so it's not so much about promoting what they have done but looking at the thinking behind and why they saw value in beer and it's something that you can take to your own breweries so that's in the brewery pro podcast channel uh you will find links to that um in the show notes and also uh just search your favorite podcast provider and you'll, you'll find it iba announces dates for good beer week 20 to 27 may you'll see that in your news feed um just very quickly before we do go a brewery of the week brought to you by our great friends at bluestone yeast Bluestone yeast can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 
billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03 and talk all things yeast. And uh, he does love to talk about yeast and we love talking to Derek. You can find links to those in the show notes. Uh, Ian, as our special guest, you know, is there a brewery that has really stood out for you that deserves to be uh, celebrated? Yeah, there is actually. I was just thinking of this last night. So a little, little bit of a wrap-up story to it. So last night we had a beer that is one of my two beers of the year and this isn't the brewery um, that I'm going to say but um, we and uh, the beer we had last night was actually one I first had on this podcast with Sabrina and that was the uh, we had found a leftover can of the Who is Wayne Dubois by um, Counterculture Stone and Wood and I was saying to Rocky said yeah this love it one of my two beers of the year they've absolutely nailed the, the, the brief on that and she went oh what was the other one? And it was a brewery that I only come across this year. I first tried a beer from them, a, a Wild Saison, earlier this year that was in a pack that I, I got given for my birthday full of Saisons and wild and farmhouse beers. And then I went over to, like, ticking off other boxes from the podcast here, went over to Curran from Easy Times Place, and he shared a can of this beer with me. Um, it's my other beer, um, beer of the year and my brewery of the week. And the beer is called Ounces of Gold, and it's from Sober Mesa. And it was absolutely gorgeous um, saison, dry hop saison. Sobremessa, there we go. There's one that we, uh, we we know of, but I don't think we've actually looked enough into. So we might have to... Uh I, I tried to order some more of that beer, um, Ounces of Gold, and it was sold out and I am devastated. So if anyone from Sobremessa is listening, you know, I, 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 do, <laughs> I do take incoming cans if you do have any. Producer uh, um, we can pass on uh, Ian's details. Sobremessa, or, or, or if, or if you're you listening. You I know see, that you are. If you see that beer in the wild, um, grab it. It was fantastic expression. Um, or And from... My experience with having another beer from them too was also also wonderful, and both those beers widened my eyes. Like, okay, I've got to learn more about these guys. I've got to, I've got to find out more about them because making really, really good, really interesting stuff um, without going and, and throwing the kitchen sink at everything, but but making um, very refined, graceful beers. Sounds oh, great. Graceful beers. That's a beautiful term. And we thank Bluestone Yeast for bringing us that brewery of the week, um, or beer of the week. It's almost uh, from a brewery that we want to know more about. That wraps up another long week of news and lots of views. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and brewer and industry consultant Ian Watson. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Scar Fabricating, and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. And we thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or you can leave a review on your favourite podcasting service and you can join the conversation and let us know what you think on the Radio Brews News Facebook group. And on that... We're out.